All right. So, where was I? Okay. We really want to we really want to have a dog, but we chose not to have a dog because it's prohibitively expensive. There's a lot of reasons. We could, but it would just be a lot of work. And we have decided that it's just not worth it. And there are a lot of things in life that are kind of like this. If you want to have a child, for example, it's a lot of preparation. And if you're not willing to do the preparation, then you're not ready. Uh, if you want to go play golf, for example, you got to go buy golf clubs. Like Everything in life that's worth doing has some sort of initial investment. And if you aren't willing to make the initial investment, then what you're saying is either by action or uh, you're in action that you're just not that interested in it. And that's what happened in the book of Haggai. Turn with me to Haggai chapter 1. We're going to be studying Haggai 1 this morning. And in Haggai 1, we're going to see that the conflict is that God wanted to dwell with his people. He was really excited. Like, that was his goal. He wanted to be among his people. But his people didn't want to build the temple. And uh, there are some sort of environmental reasons uh, or societal reasons why they chose not to do that. But ultimately, what they were saying by their inactivity is that they were not interested in putting in the work, that it was not worth it to go through all the effort that needed to happen in order for them to create a space in their lives for God. And that is a real insult to God. So that's the problem that we find as we approach the book of Haggai. And so this morning, I want to talk about making a place for God. And we're just going to study Haggai chapter 1. In uh, about a month, we'll come back and we'll do the second chapter of Haggai. And then we'll know about the book of Haggai. But this morning, we're in Haggai 1. And Haggai comes to us in two parts. The first uh, 11 verses sort of set out the problem and what God says to do about it. And verses 12 through 15 explain uh, how the people got to work and what sorts of things happened. So in the first 11 verses, I will summarize it by saying the first 11 verses are about consider your ways. And we'll read the first verse and then we'll get some context uh, setting for this. So in verse 1, it says... In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So, uh, got some weird names here, but just to, like I said, to give some context, this happens in the second year of Darius the king. Is there a laser pointer here? That'd be cool. Uh, in the... In the second year of Darius the king, and this is not the Darius that we know from the book of Daniel. This is a different Darius he ruled later in 521. So in 538, Cyrus releases the exiles from Judah. So Judah had been bad. God sent them into exile in Babylon. Then Babylon got taken over by Persia. Then Persia releases them to go rebuild the temple. So they get released in 538. Two years later, temple reconstruction starts. But uh, as soon as, pretty much as soon as they get the foundation laid, uh, there are some locals who have moved in while they were over in Persia and Babylon, and they don't take kindly to them trying to build a temple, and there's some uh, scuffling that goes on, and they write to the king, and uh, the natives make the Jews stop building. Uh, and so 
For 16 years, nothing happens. They don't build anything on the temple. And this is the problem as we enter into the book of Haggai that it's been a long time. And this should be a priority. Like we said, the if they're not willing to make a space for God, what they're saying is that they, they don't care. He's not worth it to them. And I know that that seems harsh, considering that there were, of course, some people who were like physically trying to stop them. But still, the problem is wow, uh, that they were, not, they were not ready to make the commitment. And so we come back here to Haggai 1. We're going to read through, uh, verse 2 now. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, uh, sorry, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So the Lord speaks through Haggai to Zerubbabel and Joshua, who are the high priest and the governor. They're sort of uh, big wigs, and they are both direct, well, Zadok, uh, Zerubbabel is a direct descendant of David, Joshua comes from the Aaronic and Zadok line of priests. So they're highly credentialed guys. And God speaks to them as the leaders of the people. And he says, guys, this remnant is saying it's not time to build the house of God. This sets up the conflict. And then God shifts his focus from the leaders now to the people. And he speaks to them in verses 3 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. So, Here's what's happening. He says, you're dwelling in paneled houses. Now, whether this is a sign of like excessive luxury or whether it's just like somewhere nice, he's saying, you're ha- you had no problem spending time focusing on your houses, making something nice for you to live in. And it's not just their houses they've been working on. I mean, they've been working diligently in the fields. It says, you know, they were expecting to have uh, food and harvest and uh, stuff to drink, but no, it's, that's not working out for them. So they've been putting in a lot of effort, but they're not getting back out what they put in. And God says, this should give you pause. And this is where the introduction comes in. So when you are in your life and you are looking at all the things you're doing and you're just tired, and you feel like nothing is working out. This admonition from Haggai comes to us still today. Consider your ways. Because here's the thing. If they had taken time to step back, they would have said, look, what I'm doing isn't working for me. I am expecting for this to be fruitful, and it's, it's not. Something here is wrong. Something here is not adding up. And if they had cracked open a Bible or uh, heard it read at the temple, oh wait, there's not a temple, uh, then they would have known that the very same text, Deuteronomy 28, that, taught, that gave the foundation for sending the Israelites into captivity, 
Because God told Moses way back in Deuteronomy that if you follow me, I will bless you. But if you don't, then I'm going to curse your field. I'm going to send you into a land far away. If they had known that text and thought about it, they would have realized that something very, very similar to what they are experiencing is in Deuteronomy. He says, you shall carry much seed into the field. You shall gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. So this text, I mean, it should sound very familiar. This is exactly what they're going through, that they're putting in the work, they're planting their fields, but they're not getting the harvest. And if they had thought about that, if they had considered their ways like Haggai is telling them to do, then they would have realized that if disobedience leads to empty fields or fields that aren't producing well, and they have fields that aren't producing well, they should think, hmm, what could possibly lead to this? And then they look at their paneled houses, they look at the temple foundation, and they, that, that would have been an easy click, but no. Because they're so micro-focused on the things of their life that they missed the obvious connection. And so this, this cry comes from Haggai, consider your ways. We'll pick up in verses, verses 7 through 12. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruin while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce." And I've called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. So what was implied previously becomes very explicit. He says, this is how you solve your problem. Go into the hills, get the wood, get the stuff you need to build the temple, invest in me, make me a priority. Because... As we've discussed all along, the fact that they're not building the temple is a statement that they don't really care about the things of God. He is not a priority to them. And when God is not a priority, he acts in our lives in ways that remind us that he needs to be. When they're saying, God, we don't really need you here uh, by their lack of, of following his word, then he's going to say, oh, yes, you do. Because look at these fields, these, this produce that you rely on me to grow for you. I'm not going to make it work. God reminds them how much they need him by cursing their fields. And he says, this is how you solve the problem. Just do what I said. And so what will they do? I don't know. We'll have to read on. But let me take a pause here. What, how do we consider our ways? What does this look like in our own lives? I, I know I've told this story even in the context of Haggai 1 before, but I'll tell it briefly here. Um, there was a time in college where I felt like I was crazy busy, and I was like, I have no time to, to do the things that I'm supposed to do. And everything took so long. Like, I, I 
had homework and I was like, it's going to take like two hours to do and it'd be like four hours. And like just everything, I was investing time, I was working really hard. But it just, it wasn't working and things kept coming up and this all came to a head one night when it took me four hours to inflate a tire. And at that point I was like, this is ridiculous. And I, I had, to, had to take a step back and be like, what, what is going on here? And I realized that I hadn't been prioritizing God the way I was supposed to. And I mean, this happens to me a lot in much less dramatic ways than four hours of inflating a tire. Um, there are times when I'll have conversations with people, and they'll say, hey, Brent, you know, how are you doing? And uh, when people ask me that, I often, I'll think back on the things that are going on in my life, and I'll be like, hey, you know, I, I got to spend some quality time with people I really love, and, uh, you know, I have, I, I love studying the Bible, I, I just, I love this job, like, I, I'm really happy, or, or at least I should be. But then as I, I consider all of the things that I should be thankful for, and then I consider the way that I'm feeling, which is not full, not excited, not energized, not good. I, I wonder at myself, and I'm like, why? If I have all of these things I should be thankful for, then why am I not thankful? If I have all these things that should be filling me up, why am I not full? And then I think and consider my ways, and I realize, look, you know, I, I should be praying more. I should be spending more focused time with God. And these little times where we recalibrate, where we think and we consider our ways are incredibly helpful because otherwise we can get lost in the day-to-day and go a long time without realizing that we're just spinning our wheels in vain. And so Haggai 1 encourages us to consider our ways. And when things aren't working out for us, when life is not adding up, when we can't get the things that we hoped for, Consider our ways. But now we find out what the people did. God says, consider your ways. Go up to the hills, bring wood. What happens? Let's see verses 12 through 15. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So, there's a lot of words here. But effectively, I want you to notice two really critical things. First, is it Zerubbabel, then Joshua, then the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord? That's in verse 12. Then I want you to notice in verse 14, same order of people. Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the high priest, uh, and, sorry, and the remnant of the people came and worked on the house of the Lord because God, at the beginning of that verse, stirred up their spirit. So they obey and then God stirs up their spirit. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord. Now, I think this is fascinating because we would typically think that this might happen in the opposite order. At least that seems to be how most Calvinist systems work, that God stirs up the people and then they get to work. But no, here we see that they obeyed and then God stirred them up. And I think 
there's a powerful lesson in this. And that is that if we set our minds to serve God, then he will give us the strength to do what we want to do. Uh, this happens in a financial way, in a, a text we read regularly at the Lord's table or at the, the, the collection in 2 Corinthians 9. It says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What this text is saying is that God gives you the stuff that you need, the money, the seed for sowing, if, to do righteous things. He will increase the harvest of your righteousness. He says the reason that you'll be increased is so that you can be generous in every way. So let's break this down. If you want to serve the Lord, if you want to help other people, God is the one who's going to give you the stuff that you need to do that. And if you want to serve the Lord by acting, by helping to build the temple, then God is going to give you the stuff that you need to do that. He's going to give you the strength to, to put all the stuff together. He's going to help you. He's going to stir you up. That when we set our heart to obey God, that he gives us what we need to serve him. Uh, I find this in a very personal way as a, as a preacher. Like, I have chosen to do, to, to stand up here and speak, some days better than others, and uh, there's something really humbling in realizing that, yeah, maybe this is something that I'm doing, but it's something that God is doing through me. And uh, you can read, I mean, so many passages that Paul talks about, that the strength for what he was doing, the power, the wisdom, is not in him, it's in God. And when we choose, when we set our hearts to obey God and do his will, then he helps us to have what we need in order to do that. The wisdom, the strength, the money. But there's another really cool thing in these last few verses of Haggai 1, and that is uh, connected to the first section. So we talked about... God's spirit being among the people, and that God can't dwell with his people if they're not willing to build the temple. But he says in verse 13, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. So this is interesting, because chronologically after this, they get to work building the temple. And uh, they don't seem to have it finished for quite a while. And so, let me correct slightly what I said earlier then. It's not that God can't dwell with his people if there's not a temple. It's that God chooses not to dwell with his people when his people choose not to make space for him. But when people, when the people of God decide they want to make a place for God in their lives, they don't have to finish the temple before God chooses to dwell with them. Let me bring this into our own, uh, the modern day. Our bodies are a temple for the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. I don't know exactly how that works, but God dwells in us. But here's the thing. If God waited until we were perfect and we had all of our stuff lined up and we were, we were like the, the best possible Christians ever, then no one would ever have God dwelling in them. 
So here's what we learn. That it's not a perfect building, but it is the choice to start. It is the choice to say, yes, God, I want to make a space for you. And that takes time. I mean, we sing you know, a VBS song, he's still working on me. And he is still working on me and will be for the rest of all of our lives. And yet that doesn't stop God from choosing to dwell in us. Because when we choose to make a space for him, then he chooses to dwell with us. So what do we make from Haggai 1? There's three takeaways. And then I think with my remaining time, I want to sing a song. There's a, there's a hymn that we have that is based on Haggai 1. And I was like, well, if I have time at the end of this, we're going to sing it. So we might do that. Haggai 1, here are three things we got to take away from this. First is we're going to make room for God. There are going to be times in our lives where things, we feel exhausted, where we, we feel like we don't have time to, to pray. We don't have time to read the word of God. And when we feel that way, we got to step back and say, whoa, that's, that, that's not true. Because remember what we learned, that when we set our hearts to do God's will, he's going to help us do it. And so we can't, we can't listen to that nonsense. We need to make room for God. That's the only way because we need him. And there are times when we might feel like we don't. There are days where we might think, oh, you know, it's going to be okay. But no, this consistent message comes through that we need God. We need to make a space for him. We need to prioritize him. And when we feel like we don't, we got to step back and consider our ways and straighten the path and make it right. Second, we got to work with God's power. That when we choose to obey him, he will give us a strength to do what we need to. He stirred them up when they decided to obey him. And so as we go out in the world, there are times where we might feel like we don't have what it takes to serve God. We don't have what it takes to fill the role that we really feel like we need to. And in those times we can pray. In those times we can ask God for strength, for wisdom, to help us do what he wants us to do. Because if we want to serve God, God is going to help us do that. And finally... We need to remember that God dwells in unfinished temples. That we don't have to have everything lined up. I mean, think the prodigal son. Think, you know, thief on a cross. These aren't guys that are like, they've got their whole lives together. And yet God chose uh, to, to help those people, to save those people, to listen to those people. And I think that that is phenomenal. And so as we, as we go from Haggai, I hope that you will keep these ideas in your mind, to make room for God, to work hard, to get out there, to, to use the strength that God supplies, and to remember that God dwells in unfinished temples. So I'm going to lead us in a song here. This song is called, It Is Time to Build. I think it's number 680. I'm going to look it up. And uh, it draws a lot of imagery from... Haggai chapter 1, which I just think is the coolest thing. I love when songs do that. It's number 780. Let me ask, how many people know this song? So I know what I'm getting into. Cool. All right. Um, so as you can see, I mean, it's time to build. It's a, 
not exact quotation, but very generally what uh, Haggai is saying. It's time to consider your ways in the second line. Uh, it talks about, uh, you know, have we, in the second verse, have we built our homes, have we planted our fields and forgotten the temple of God? Uh, and then finally in verse 3, let us gather wood from the mountains of truth, which is a little bit metaphorical. But still, we've got this idea. Have faith, have courage. God says, I am with you. That This is a song about building. It's a song that brings Haggai 1 into the modern day as we go out and do the will of God and we, we prioritize his things. So, let me get ooh, a C. And we're going to sing the song, and then after that, we'll be dismissed to class. <laughs>